We're in Acts 28. We're finishing up this series on the book of Acts, and I want to just remind you quickly of kind of how we started this thing. The, the book of Acts, it says the, the name of the title of the book is the, we call it the book of Acts. Others call it the Acts of the Apostles, and it really isn't the Acts of the Apostles. It's, it's the Acts of Jesus as continued through the Holy Spirit of God. Um, it's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about any of them. It's about Christ and the advancement of the kingdom of God on this planet. It's a phenomenal thing. Now, here's the the plan of God, the way he's approached things. From the beginning is he wanted a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with his creation, with his people, with those who he breathed life into and are image bearers of Christ. That's, That's his goal. When we messed it up, God realized that he needed to call up a people, um, or he chose to call up a people to make them like a like a like a city on a hill or a a, a beacon that people are drawn to um, when I, where I grew up uh, on Lake Drive in East Grand Rapids, we lived in the oldest house in East Grand Rapids, and uh, Ramona Park was an amusement park way back in the day across Reed's Lake, and a woman who lived in our house, she worked there in the summer, and by the time she got off, even though it was summer, on her way home, she had to walk three and a half to four miles around the lake. They hung up in a black walnut tree in our front yard, they hung up a lantern, and that's how she guided herself home. And this, this tree still exists today. It's about 240 years old, they think. And um, she would hang it up, and she couldn't always see it, but she could put a bead on it across the lake, and then walk, and then when there would be these little openings in the woods or when she could still see across the lake, she could guide by this light. That's what God intended Israel to be, and that's what God now intends the church to be, to be a light that shines in darkness so that people who are lost, they see the light, they beat in on the light, and they follow the light. And Jesus is the light, and he tells us that we are now the light. So that is Paul's... Uh, that is the book of Acts. That's his intent to make sure that people know that God adores them, that God loves them, that God pursues them, and that he wants to forgive them. And he first goes back to the people that he chose to be that light on a hill over and over and over again. When you saw Jesus, he came and he went first to the Jews, then to those who were not Jewish. Paul, when he was converted, he went first to the Jews and then to those that God called him to go to, the Gentiles. And every time he came to a new city, if there were Jews there, he went first to the Jews and then he went on to everybody else. He does it again here. Now, to paraphrase what's happened in the first part of this book, or first part of this chapter, Paul, they'd just been shipwrecked. I think we left it off there last week. Uh, He's on his way to Rome because he had appealed to Caesar. He's still a prisoner. He's in chains. He, through God's work, almost like Jonah, advises them on what to do about the uh, about the boat crashing it does crash nobody dies they make it to shore they're freezing cold uh and the people of malta come up they help them out they build a fire paul's gathering firewood he throws a firewood on there a snake comes out it bites him on the hand he must be a murderer he 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 decided or he lived through the sea the, the 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 shipwreck and now the fates the gods of the romans uh they want to kill him and then he doesn't get sick, he doesn't swell up, he doesn't die, so uh, he must be a god. Kind of fickle humanity, we'll leave it at that. Um, they spend about three, three months, they winter on this island of Malta. Paul, Paul heals many people. Uh, they're evangelized. They, they, then that, the group of people gives Paul, um, Paul and the people on the ship, they give him a ship, and they give him provisions, and they head off to Rome. He shows up to Rome, 
And it says this, this in verse 16, we're going to start reading it one verse after that, but it says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. I want you to remember that part. Three days. Now, this is, Paul has been two and a half years. He's been in prison, maybe more. He's had a six to seven month journey, including shipwrecks and, uh, and, and wintering on an island that they didn't even know the name of. Uh, God's given them provision. Paul's evangelized them. After three days in Rome, where he's going to appeal to Caesar, but he's still in prison, he's, they allow him to rent a house because he's not really a flight risk. They've got a soldier chained, a, 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 Roma, a Praetorian guard chained to his wrist. Um, he can't go anywhere. But three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews in Rome. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, Although I have I've, I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but or because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge against my own people. So he just summarized about three years of his life in two and a half sentences. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there uh, has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what, you, what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect, Christianity. They arranged to meet with Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening. Now, you think this 15 to 20-minute sermon's long? From, we'll stay till evening? Or as long as the battery lasts? Okay. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would, would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. And this is his final statement. I want you to listen as best you can. And it's, it's not about them, but I want you to hear if is God saying this about you. This is the pokey part. This is the last thing he spoke before the Jewish leaders left him. The Holy Spirit spoke truth to your forefathers when he said through, the, through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't, like doing, I don't usually like it when, when, when a pastor stands up and says, if, you know, in my study, I found this little nugget that no one else has ever seen. You would find it too, but I want you to see something really cool. God had promised that Paul would not only speak to kings and to Gentiles, but he would, in Rome, and I don't, there's no evidence. We don't have any evidence. And we know kind of how Paul died. He's in prison two years. He gets out for a few years. He comes back in prison, and then he ends up being 99% sure he's beheaded. Uh, terrible, terrible way to die, although quick. Um, but we don't know if he actually got a chance to preach to Caesar, but I want you to see that only God, only the influence of God could allow uh, 
someone who's imprisoned to be to have this kind of access. Paul has a praetorian guard. There are about a hundred of them. They're, they're the castle guards. They're like the Secret Service presidential detail team for the Emperor Caesar. Now, Lynn and I have a, a Lynn, more Lynn's friend than mine. I knew Janice. Her name was Janice. I uh, knew her in college. She married a guy named Picha Haida. Picha Haida was a Secret Service agent when William Jefferson Clinton was the President of the United States, and he had presidential detail. And he talks about, he can't tell much, but he talks a little bit about um, how hard it is when you're on presidential detail and you're in a foreign land and, and he's staying in a hotel, the president is, and you get stairwell duty. You imagine staying 8 to 12 hours in a stairwell, making sure no one comes up, keeping yourself entertained but always being ever vigilant? That's what the Praetorian Guard are. But they were smart. Uh, Caesar or his commanders, because those guards only had four-hour shifts. So whatever post you had, you had four hours. And then they would move you off to something else. There would be this kind of rotation um, so that you, you, you can kind of hold your attention on something for about four hours. Then you shift gears and you, you attend to something else. So Paul, look at how God did this. Paul was chained to a praetorian guard, one who is closest to Caesar than anyone. So Caesar is the emperor of the world, the most powerful man on the planet. And Paul evangelizes Every four hours, a new guard, a new Secret Service officer. This is like if you were given, God called you and said, I want you to go to Washington, D.C. I don't care what the administration, I don't care who the president is, when he may call you to do this, if he ever does. But I want you to, you, I'm going to grant you access to the cabinet, to every secretary in the administration. You may never speak to the president, but I want you to evangelize, I want you to disciple, and I want you for the next four years, I want you to pray in their presence for my wisdom on them. You imagine, could, does anyone have that kind of access? Only if God grants it. Paul was given that kind of access to the people closest to the most powerful person in the world. And they kept rotating every four hours. They chained themselves. So you think he's captive? They're captive. And I don't know about you, but if, you, if I was, the, I don't know how good of an attitude I would have. If I'm in prison for no apparent reason, I'm shipwrecked and snake bit, winter somewhere, I go off and I'm, I'm at Rome, I'm going to appeal to Caesar, I don't get my appeal for two years, and I'm chained up with some guy, I don't think I'm going to be going, man, how do I strategize about winning this person to Christ? I'm going to be fantasizing about how when, when they change cuffs from one guy to another, I'm going to take that chain and I'm, I want out. Right? I mean, don't, I kind of fan it. If you ever get, if you, my dreams are never, when I'm, if I'm in chains somewhere, I'm never going, oh, I get a chance to proclaim the gospel. I'm like, I'm out. I'm going to figure out a way. I always end up the hero of my dream. Never a hero anywhere else, but. I think it's phenomenal that God, in his provision, and Paul in his attitude, wants more people to know Christ. And that's all he wants. He's not looking to get out. He's got a captive audience every four hours. And he's allowed to bring people and bring people. And he still goes to the people that are supposed to be a beacon on the hill. The people that are supposed to be a set-apart people. So that, so that everyone, God wanted Israel to live in such a way that people would see their good works and praise God, not them. And they took what God wanted for the world and they made it about them and they separated themselves from the, from the rest of humanity and they, and they got really religious and God hates that. And God, even back in Isaiah's time, God said to his people, you listen, but you don't hear. You see, but you don't perceive. 
You've calloused your own hearts. You've shut your own eyes. So I'm asking you, have you calloused your heart? Have you closed your eyes? Are you going la, la, la to what God wants? And I'll give you some ways to, to, to diagnose that. If you ever want to know what a preacher struggles with, look for his examples. I really struggle, especially now, watching people that call good evil and evil good. I really struggle with wanting to love them. When people, we're the worst people in the world now, Christians are. Everyone's out to get us. Everyone thinks we're terrible. Every, we're judgmental. We're mean. We just want to, uh, we're, we're puritanical and want to enforce or impose our morality on everybody else. That's not our heart. It's sometimes, but it's not. It, oh, and when people stand up and it's obviously that they're, de they're deceiving other people, they're lying to them, and I'm, I'm like, oh, I want that. I don't do that out loud. But inside, that, that's a diagnosis. I'm calloused. Because if I were Paul, I would look at that person and go, I don't think they're trying to deceive me. I just, I'm fearful that they're deceived. I, I don't want to hate them. I want them to know the truth. So there's a mom in your neighborhood that you really don't like, or there's a kid that you're going to go back to school that kind of pushes you around, or there's a boss that you have that's a seagull leader, fly around, steal your lunch, poo all over everything, and then flies away. And you resent them. Or you look for ways to interpret what they do in negative ways. If I'm doing that, I'm hearing, but I'm not listening. I'm seeing, but I'm not perceiving. And I'm feeling, but I'm not understanding. What about you? The whole book of Acts and all the letters Paul writes to the churches are reminding people that one thing matters. If we're left to our own devices, humanity will destroy itself. We will kill each other. We will judge each other. We will destroy whole cultures. We will blow up cities. And we will enslave others. You look at the history of humanity, every nationality, ethnicity has been enslaved at one time or another. When we're left to our own devices, that's what we do, and God knows it. And God has gifted us with something more precious than silver, more costly than gold, more beautiful than diamonds, something that will last for eternity, and it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the only thing that will change the world. It is the only thing that will save the world. It is the only thing that we have to offer. Not judgment, but mercy. Not hatred, but kindness. I don't think in my head, typically, that people that are arguing about something, even if they're wrong, I don't believe they believe they're wrong. Have you ever, some guys do this, but I, I, hope, I hope that it's not often. You ever, you ever find out in the middle of an argument with your spouse or with a friend that you're, that you're wrong? You keep arguing? I mean, most of us are convinced we're right. I mean, think about in the church, when people, when, when the decision's made, or when, and, and people, everyone's got God on their side, right? And so everyone believes they're righteous. Everyone knows that they, I've got this. I know better. And so you argue because you want to persuade. Okay. But do you ever think of the other person and you go, man, they just, they're, what's wrong with them? If they actually are wrong, they don't know they are. They believe they're right. 
And the world today believes that they're right by rejecting Christ. So they're not trying to deceive. They are deceived. They've bought into a lie that they believe is true. Now, that changes my heart toward a person. If I think that they have goodwill, there are some that just want to lie and deceive, but most believe that they're just and righteous. But if I hate them, or if I'm angry toward them, then I'm hearing but not listening, I'm seeing but not perceiving, and I'm feeling but not understanding. What does God ask us to do? Don't return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. You know this. What was Jesus all about when he showed up? The other. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave himself. It's about other. And he tells us, Paul, the guy that we've been talking about, he tells us this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's all about me. But in humility, consider others, others, others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, God, this whole creation is God considering others. He's the host. We're his guests. We're allowed to, to, to live and use his resources. And he's willing to give so much that he gives himself. And we have that to offer the world. And so we have this back door that, that, that we have. This, this, everyone's yelling and screaming at each other. I'm right, you're wrong, you're evil, I'm holy. We can come in the back door with love and mercy and grace and peace and hope and joy and kindness, keeping no record of wrongs, but delighting in the truth. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Will you? It's not a judgment. It's a question. There's a theologian that says that, I'm not quoting him exactly, but it's pretty close. If you read this and you believe the things you like and you discard the things you don't, you're not following Jesus. You're worshiping yourself. It's called syncretism, where we take the little things that we like, and we, they're convenient, and we kind of put them together. And so if, if we trust Jesus as Lord, that means that if he says, go dig ditches for me, yes, my Lord. If he says, go to Guatemala and build houses, yes, my Lord. If he says, go next door to the person who doesn't keep their lawn up the way, instead of knocking on the door and going, I'm going to write a neighborhood association complaint about you, say, how you doing? How can I pray? The scriptures are the revealed word of God. It is the story that he wants us to have. And he's still writing it in you and in your experiences. But it means what it meant. And it will always mean what it meant. And I don't get to discard the things I don't like to make my life easier. God knows what he's doing. And unless he has a people that stand apart, not aside, not, 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 not like we're holier than thou, but just we live differently. Because when someone strikes us on the cheek, we turn the other one. When someone steals our clothes, we give them our whole wardrobe. That's the call of God. 
The gospel is going to the Gentiles, and they will listen. You, folks, I am a Gentile. Will I listen? Or will I close my heart, close my eyes, clog my ears, and go, God, I'm just going to be a good religious person, which is exactly what the Jews thought they were doing. They believe they're righteous, but Jesus tells them they're not. What's he saying to you? I know what he's saying to me, and I don't really like what I see. Because my first response is, instead of, oh, how, Lord, give me an opportunity to speak, to treat, or to love in your name. That's the book of Acts. And it's not my word, it's his. And it's not my word for you, it's God's will for us. Let's pray. Bless you, Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. Lord, if anyone's heart was calloused and you pierced it, I pray that you have, that you give people the courage to run toward that piercing, to seek you. And Lord, if anyone was, if anyone in here is feeling guilty, that leads us away from you. That's not you, that's the enemy. So Lord, if there's conviction, call us back to you. If there's guilt, show us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and call us back to you. Lord, the theme is to call your people back to you and help us to live our lives in such a way that other people know who you are by how we behave. We pray these things in Jesus' name through the power of your spirit for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, we just talked about the truth of the Scriptures in the book of Acts, and it is a temptation for all of us to take the truth and bludgeon people with it, showing them how wrong they are. Now, I'm not saying we should not be transformed by the removing of our, our renewing of our mind. We're not transformed by the removal of it. We have to have good arguments. We have to, we have to be apologists, and there are some great Christian minds out there. But the Scripture tells us that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not, not our judgment on his behalf. It's kindness. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what God uses as his weapon. The joy, the peace, and the kindness of God. Let us be a people joyful in the sake, in the, in, in, in the face of tragic things. Let us be people that are merciful because God has shown us mercy. And let us be kind to our enemies because that is the weapon of God, the kindness that leads people to repentance. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord put his face in the palm of your hands and smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.